Hey, thank you so much for joining with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. Uh, we would love for all of you to continue to get connected here at Life Church uh, in this season. Uh, that's through community groups. We have a, another first Sunday upcoming here on March 7th. Um, but please, we would encourage everyone to find or form a community group. If you need help getting connected, please email us at info at lifechurchvirginia.com. We'll do everything that we can to get you planted. As well, per generosity, tithes and offerings, we're so grateful for your faithfulness over this season. We have here at Life Church, as many nonprofits and churches across the world have uh, taken a bit of a hit financially. Uh, so there are lots of ways to give, and we're grateful for your giving. You can give online, you can write a check, send it to the church, or come by the church offices anytime uh, on, from Tuesday to Thursday, 10 to 2. We would just be so appreciative of your generosity. Next week, uh, we're going to uh, read and discuss uh, Luke 16, verses 1 through 9, a story about the rascal who got it. Uh, there's going to be very little content from Life Church. Uh, we want you all to gather around the scriptures, discuss it, uh, reveal what God has shown you in your time in the Word. Maybe you want to discuss that passage, uh, Luke 16, verses 1 through 9. Maybe your community group, your family, uh, whoever you are engaging worship with, would like to just discuss Luke. 15 and, and open up that reality that God has opened to you. But uh, this is my favorite week of community group, that which we gather around the scriptures and allow it to fully read us and get to invest in the revelations that others are getting as well. Uh, so that's next week. But let me begin this week simply with this, and I hope it lands in a fruitful posture for your soul. According to the grace of God, your lostness does not define you. Joy and celebration defines you. Broken is not our starting point. Beauty is. This is why when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to turn, come back home, to reform, reframe, and not just in a new sense, but in a, hey, this is how you were intended to be. Please just consider for a moment that brokenness is not your starting point, but beauty and the act of repentance, turning towards God, turning towards love, mercy, and grace is not a new endeavor, but it's actually a coming home. Let's read our passage. We're finishing Luke chapter 15, verses 24 through 32. As you recall, we're working through this passage, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, uh, the prodigal son, and now in verse 24, for this my son was dead, this is the father, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Verse 25, now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father, Son, 
you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please speak to me and through me. Listen through each of us that we may hear your word and respond according to your will. Mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Well, we're continuing our stories series today because God doesn't wish to entertain us. He wants to involve us. We have finally arrived at the pinnacle of this masterful story told by the master storyteller himself, Jesus. As we've talked about the last few weeks, we have a, uh, a, a, a further investing. We have a culminating point here. We have 100 sheep. We have 10 coins. We have two brothers. And we land finally at one older brother. There is an intensification that you can't ignore. 100 10, 2, and 1. Jesus is getting to this point where we are landing today. And recall or, or reframe the whole conversation if you must. Jesus is not telling this story randomly. He's not answering a question. He's not being moved with compassion and speaking to a moment. No, Jesus is telling this story, these sets of stories, because people are grumbling because people are murmuring. And they're not grumbling or murmuring about anything random. They're, they're grumbling and murmuring about all those he, Jesus, is around. They're grumbling and murmuring because Jesus is including. They're grumbling and they're murmuring because Jesus is letting people near. And we spoke again for weeks, the parabolic form that Jesus uses to teach us is a rabbinical tool, not just to inform, but rather to inspire and invite. And I want to read this passage from Eugene Peterson's Let It Slant now for the third time because I really want it to land in us. The parable is a form of speech that has a style all its own. It's a way of saying something that requires the imaginative participation of the listener. Inconspicuously, even surreptitiously, a parable involves the hearer. A parable is not ordinarily used to tell us something new, but to get us to notice something that we have overlooked, although it's been right there before us for years. Or it's used to get us to take seriously something we have dismissed as unimportant because we've never seen the point of it. And before we know it, we are involved. God, in the person of Jesus, is still, he is still not entertaining grumblers and murmurs. He's not castigating them or us as we are the grumblers and we are the murmurers. He is trying to involve. Now within these four ascending stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, and now our final older brother, there are a lot of parallels. There are a lot of connecting dynamics, but I want to draw your attention to one glaring difference in this final story. Lost people get more attention than lost animals or lost things. The lost sheep gets a few verses. The lost coin gets a few verses. And then the culminating 11 through 32 verses, there's a lot of discussion. There's lots of back and forth. The vast majority of this chapter is taken up not by lost things or lost animals, but these lost people. 
Additionally, and more interestingly, apparently, even though more attention is given, one doesn't go out looking for a lost son like one does for a sheep or a coin. Peterson writes to this as well in his book. Apparently, we don't go looking for a lost son or person in the same way that we look for an animal or a coin. Something other than aggressive energy is required. Something no less energetic, yet passive, passive energy. There are situations in which our passivities take precedence over our activities. Tanya and I have three kids, three wonderful kids, one of which is taller than me, the other of which is bigger than me, and, and the youngest is, well, Zoe's just a lot of things. And they keep us busy, to be sure. It's been a process learning them, uh, learning ourselves. How do we parent them? How do we parent them together? How do we parent them individually? And I'm realizing as I'm now 15, 16 years into this journey, and Tanya always refers to parenting as the great experiment. We, we act so confident when we make these determinations and we have these conversations with our kids and, and then we close our bedroom door and we look at each other and we think or say out loud, man, I hope that was the right decision. But I'm learning more as we've journeyed now 15, 16 years with these wonderful kids that sometimes, even most of the time, my children don't need my control. They need my presence. They need me to be around, not tell them what to do. If I really want to see them mature, they don't need more activity from their father or from their mother. They need my availability as they work it out. And I can remain a resource and speak into them. And yes, I pray for them. Yes, I speak into their lives. But there's a passive energy in parenting and being a good, healthy, Christ-following father that yields fruit in all three of their lives. This is something that I've discovered as well in my marriage, going on 18 years. Do you know that sometimes Tiny doesn't need me to fix everything? Husbands, let that sink in for a minute. You don't need to fix everything. Maybe, just maybe, you need to listen. Maybe, just maybe, you need to be present. Wives, can I be honest with you? We might not be looking for a correction every moment of the day. We might not always need your advice or your perspective. And again, I'm not suggesting we don't ever need that. I'm just suggesting there might be more fruitfulness in passive energy than actively trying to put our hands on everything. It's almost as if the more intimate the relationship if we truly are present in that relationship, the more passive energy needs to be applied than active intervention. Peterson writes again, not doing involves a means of detaching my ego, my still immature understanding of the way God works comprehensively, but without forcing his way, without coercion. The restraint of passivity allows for the quiet, mostly invisible complexities and intricacies that are characteristic of the Holy Spirit as he does his work in us, in the church, and in this world for whom Christ died. Not all lost sons and daughters and friends and unsaved can be found by calling out a search and rescue team. Discernments are required. This forces us to recall what does the father look like? 
If the Father is our depiction of God, let's be reminded that the Father relents. He gives in to the younger brother. The Father looks, but He doesn't go chasing. The Father receives even without a rehearsed apology. And the Father restores completely unrelated to earning, whether it's a sheep, a coin, a lost son. And now as we drill with an older brother, it reminds me of the conversation we had about manure, how the passive energy of manure, that thing of just the presence and the passage of time, maybe, just maybe, people need less of your words, less of your control, less of your finger pointing, less of your opinions, and more of just you being with. Maybe, just maybe, and taking a shot in the dark here, maybe, just maybe, entering into who God has made you to be as God declares he is not right or he is not this or he is not that. But he declares I'm Emmanuel, I'm with. And so maybe, just maybe we get to step into that as well. These two brothers, and if you've been taking notes, the messages have been entitled a story about two lost brothers these two lost brothers are both of them gone astray, but in different ways. This shows me that there's nuance to lostness, just like there's nuance to healing. When my appendix was about to burst, they didn't amputate my foot. Hello, somebody. There's nuance to injury. There's nuance to lostness. Now, I just want to forewarn all listening, this is going to hurt. Let us allow it to leave its mark. There are two lost brothers. The, the younger brother is lost in the sin of selfishness. The older brother is lost in the sin of self-righteousness. It's an iatrogenic injury. Iatrogenic would come from the Latin and mean a disease or injury that originates in a place of healing. And many of us can relate to this, especially in a pandemic world where people are contracting COVID in hospitals and elderly homes and places where they're supposed to be safe, where they're supposed to be rehabbing, where they're supposed to be healed. I remember years ago, my father-in-law going in for a knee replacement and he had the surgery. And in the course of recovery, he contracted a staph infection, which almost caused him to lose his leg. It's an iatrogenic injury an issue or disease that originates in a place of healing. So is the sin oftentimes of self-righteousness, how it exists, how it multiplies, how it exacerbates in the church. To go further with more reality and texture, the older brother isn't just lost. I would submit to you, he is quadruply lost. He's lost to his father. He's lost to his younger brother. He's lost to the celebrating community and he seems completely unaware of all of it, which proves and shows me that he's lost even to himself. The older brother is dangerously estranged right in the middle of everybody, right in the middle of everything. This is one of the things that we have come to really appreciate about it this season. And again, I would not suggest that we wanted a pandemic, but here we are figuring out 
community groups, figuring out what it's like to worship God in a slightly different new way. It's the reality that when you walk into a home with five, six, 10, 15 other people, it's almost impossible to hide. You have to let yourself be known. You will get to know other people. And I believe in the course of doing that, we have heard story after story of of, of personal transformation, a vibrant community, because as you let yourself be known, as you get to know other people, you will find that you are getting to know God himself. But if we walk into a room consistently with 200, 300 people, when yes, we experience the presence of God and we have moments, but it's so easy to walk into that large room and not let yourself be known. There's a dark, open-ended moment here in our story. Verse 31, the father, and he said to the son, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then there's this dark, open-ended moment as Jesus abruptly stops telling the story. He's done. He's finished. But if you're like me, you're waiting for more. You're waiting for the culmination, for the ending. There isn't one. Remember, it's the parable on purpose. Jesus is telling this to us grumblers, to us murmurers, and he's letting it hang out there for us to discover what are we going to do. There's a not so subtle invitation to everybody listening, to all of us, older brothers, trapped with this iatrogenic reality the sin of self-righteousness. I want to read another version very briefly of this passage. It's in a book, Drops Like Stars by Rob Bell. He writes this. Jesus told a story about a man who had two sons. The story begins with a younger son asking for his share of the inheritance, which in first century Jewish culture was a deeply offensive request. The equivalent of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. What an odd way to begin a story. What's even more unusual is that the father grants his request. The son leaves with the money and eventually spends it all. In his humiliation and poverty, the son decides to head home, where he hopes to get work as one of his father's servants. But when he arrives home, he isn't shunned or punished or treated as a servant. His father rushes out to welcome and embrace him and then throws a party for him. Normally, on an occasion like this, a lamb would be sacrificed for the meal, which would be enough for a family. But the father in this story has a calf prepared, which would be enough for the whole village. Apparently, the consequences of the son's departure were so destructive that he needed to be reconciled to the whole community. This celebration infuriates the older brother. He refuses to join the party and instead argues the injustice of it all to their father, who responds, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother then has a moment of profound enlightenment. He puts his arm around his father and says, You're right. Dad, I'm sorry I've been difficult. Can I get you a beer? Uh, Actually, that's not how the story ends. The story ends with the father's words about how everything he has belongs to his son and how they celebrate because his son was dead and is alive again. 
That's it. That's how the story ends. The father's words hanging in the air. And we never learn what the elder brother decides to do. What an odd way to end her story. If this story was a film, it would end with the father's words and then the camera would pan back, showing the party in the background. You'd hear the clinking of silverware and laughter and the thump of the bass drum on the dance floor. And then the screen would fade to black and the credits would roll. Jesus leaves the story unresolved. We never find out what the brother, older brother decides to do. Jesus doesn't give the proper Hollywood ending we've all come to expect. You can picture one more scene, can't you? The older brother enters the party. The younger brother is surrounded by people who want to talk to him, but he sees his brother. And so he says to them, just a minute, please. As he starts walking toward his brother, the orchestra music in the background gets louder and louder as they get closer and closer until they embrace and everybody at the party circles around them, starts clapping. And then the camera pans over to that one last shot, the one of the father holding a glass of champagne with a smile on his face and a tear in his eye. But that's not how it always goes, is it? Some elder brothers never join the party. Some fathers never throw one. Some brothers never come back. Some things never get resolved. Lots of parties are missing somebody. And we, when we try to resolve things too quickly or pretend that everyone is there when they aren't or offer hollow superficial explanations, it's not honest and it's not right and it's not real. It's not how life is. I've heard people trying to be helpful in the midst of a tragedy or accident or death by saying, that's just how God planned it. While I'm thinking, the God who planned that is not a God I want anything to do with. Others with far more wisdom and experience than me have tackled the why questions of suffering. I'm interested in another question, not why this, but what now? As we've spoken of for some weeks, the parabolic form is not meant to entertain us, it's meant to involve us. And so here we all have this question hanging over us. Maybe we're in the father position. Maybe we're in the prodigal son position. Maybe we're in the older brother position. Whatever space we are in, I want us to consider the practice of confession, to be aware of where we truly are. And if we need to walk into something new, take those steps. Admit our heart position. Have a hard conversation. And let's walk into what God has for us, each and every one of us. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we walk into what the Father has invited us. May we fully embrace the celebrating and joy for which we, all of the we, were made. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.